Point of Choir. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all today. I didn't get a chance to watch the Heisman Trophy presentation last night, but I assume it went to an Arkansas player. I just didn't know <laughs> the guy's name, so if you all could let me know afterwards, I'd appreciate it. All right, this morning we want to begin our service by reading uh, the Gospel of John, really the Christmas story there. It's obviously some different, but I want to read that this morning for our time uh, around the Word uh, as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Christ. Aren't you glad that we don't just celebrate His birth, but His perfect life, His death, because He had to die, and His resurrection. You know, one that's not celebrated a lot is His ascension. But I'm all about that. And I look forward to the return of our Lord one day to you. I hope you do. Well, it's good to be with you guys this morning. You all look so great today. And you look awake. About 30 more minutes you might take a nap. All right. Why don't we uh, stand? Let's read God's word together. John chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, 
he has explained him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. There's so much to just think on in reading these verses. I guess one of the words that comes to my mind is hope. Lord, I'm thankful so much that you took on flesh and that you dwelt among men. I'm thankful that you lived a perfect life and that you went to the cross and paid for our sins. I'm thankful that you rose again. I'm thankful that you were seen by over 500 witnesses plus the apostles and such. I'm thankful that you ascended to the Father, to his right hand, mission accomplished. Lord, may we never grow weary of being thankful. That sounds like a strange statement, but maybe not so much because we are so distracted in our world. May we today, through song and through your word, bring glory to you. In the name of Christ, amen.
now I am. Okay, now it starts making you want to sing some Christmas songs together, and that's what we're going to do this morning. So let's all stand. Okay, let's just follow along, and let's just sing some Christmas songs that we love to sing, and uh, we're going to worship the Lord. This is the time of worship. So, oh, come, all ye faithful.
glory to the newborn king. We sing about his birth. We sing about his birth in Bethlehem. But at the same time, we sing about what he's talking about, how born to raise the sons of earth, born to, to save us. That's what he was born to. And he lived and he died and he was resurrected. He gave us the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the good thing about it is it doesn't end in Bethlehem. It doesn't end at Calvary. It ends when he comes back for us one day. And that's the, that's the birth that we're looking for. That's the coming that we're looking forward to, to seeing. And we hope it's soon. But now I want you to listen to the words of the song in the first light.
Well, they're going to miss the sermon. <laughs> By the time they get back in here, we'll be closing in prayer. So, um, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, it was great to, to hear that message, uh, the choir sang, and really encouraging to have uh, a couple of young people now singing in the choir, and um, it's a, a tremendous opportunity we have to just listen to the message. Um, it's important that songs are theologically sound, and so it's nice when you have that go on in your church, and we don't take it for granted that that takes place. But we're thankful that it does. Um, I hope that um, that you appreciate it as well. We have several in this church who are talented musically. As we were listening to the prelude this morning, I was reminded of of Linda and Sharon and just the talent they have that God's given them, and the privilege we have to sit there. You know, I was, as I was sitting there listening to the prelude, I was like, you know, Lord, they work on this, you know, weeks maybe to get ready for one service. And so um, it's important that we faithfully and diligently appreciate those that labor among us. That's what the Lord desires that we do. Um, this morning I want you to turn, take your Bibles and go to the Gospel of Luke. And we're in the first chapter. And we are looking together At Mary's Magnificat, we said that the Latin word there uh, translated means my soul magnifies the Lord. And so um, that's important because as you go through this Magnificat, you are given a window into the life of Mary and her walk with her Savior. That's important that we think on that, that Mary is acknowledging that indeed God was her Savior. Mary's not looking for glory. Mary's not looking for honor. She's looking to pass that on to the Lord. And isn't that right to do? Answer, yes, it's right to do. You know, we have a window here through a song into her life with the Lord. Do you know people have a window into your life? You thought about that? In fact, there are many windows into our lives. There's a window into your life when you come here on a Sunday morning. You may not watch others, but I watch all of you. I like to watch people. I think you can learn a lot by watching people. So there's a window into your life. I don't know that you've thought about that, but when you come here on a Sunday or on a Wednesday, people, other believers, are looking at your life. When you're in the social media world, which is a pretty large world, people are getting a little bit of taste of who you are. Is that true? It's true. That's why I always say in love, be very, very very, 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 very careful about how you communicate. Because in this world that we live in, um, young people have their phones with them all the time and they're constantly looking into your world. I know that's kind of something maybe that you haven't necessarily thought about, but I think it deserves some attention. That people are looking into our world on a regular basis. 
In fact, they may even draw a conclusion as to what you value or who you value the most. Just something to think about. So as we come to this passage of Scripture in Luke, we're given a window into Mary's life. And I think it's just fantastic uh, what Mary says. I, I always have a little bit of fear and trepidation when I'm preaching and teaching. Um, I wish Mary could just tell us, you know, kind of all about what was going on and in her words. You say, well, they're right in front of you. Yeah, but that's why it's so important to have an understanding of the exactness as much as possible. Because what she communicates is very critical to uh, us understanding her worship, her life of worship, as well as her doctrine, her theology. It's hard to believe that we're looking at a, a girl who maybe, you know, at the time that she was given the message was 13, we said, between 12 and 14 years old. And just to have this understanding as she responds to Elizabeth. It's quite amazing when you look at it. Um, so if I was going to describe Mary, her life with the Lord's quite amazing from what I can see. And I want us to think about and consider for ourselves this morning the importance of representing the Lord well and that we have and are giving out to others how we see the Lord, our worship, our theology, it comes out on a regular basis. I want us to read uh, this verses for our purposes this morning, verses 46 through 50 is what I want us to read, and, and we will cover these verses this morning. Mary says, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Why? There are two reasons why. Now, in your translation, you may have the word for that appears three times. But one of those, the middle one, does not appear first. And this is a technicality, but it's crucial. It does not appear first in the original language. The word behold does. So there's two reasons in the text that Mary has rejoiced. And we'll get to that. There's not three. Okay? So I need you to understand that right from the beginning. Or we're going to mess up. <laughs> we're just going to mess it up. Um, so the author, Mary says, My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Why? For he has had regard for the humble state of his bondservant. And because of that, behold, for... From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Secondly, she has rejoiced because the Mighty One has done great things for me. And holy is His name. And His mercy, the mercy of Him is how it reads in the original, is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. Let's pray. So, Lord, we come to this passage this morning, and we want to study it, we want to understand it better, and, and we want to consider, Lord, our own walk before you, that not only do those around us get a 
window or picture of our walk, but most importantly, you know. You know every step. And I pray that we would be more considerate about our walk. In the name of Christ, amen. I want to make mention of one more thing before we move on about our walk. Our families watching. Children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, they're watching. Well, as we come to break down this song of Mary, there are two primary focal points in the first few verses. The first point has to do with her worship. And we said, based on a couple of words here, soul and spirit, that her worship was deep within her. Now that's important. That tells me something. Based on what I understand here in the Magnificat, Mary had a great understanding of the Word of God. And that understanding of God's Word and her commitment to God came out in her expression of worship. So the next time you think about preparation for a Sunday, think of this. I need to prepare myself to worship, and the best way that I can do that is to be in the book. So that when I come on Sundays, I'm full. I'm not waiting to be filled up. That's the mindset of most. But maybe our mindset should be this. Lord, fill me up so that when I come on Sundays, I am just busting. Does that sound okay? It's different. Because most people look at church as a time to fill up. And I'm not saying that we should not be challenged in the Word of God. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that what we have in front of us is a song by a girl named Mary who was filled with the Lord. And it comes out. It just comes out. It comes out in her worship and it's deep within her. The words soul and spirit give us an indication of that. My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. We said last week that this text really hinges on two verbs. The word exalts and the, word, and the verb has rejoiced. Do you remember that? You do, don't you? I know you do because I can just see it in your eyes. So this particular song begins with two verbs that are critical for us in understanding the depth of Mary's worship. The word exalts there, remember we said it was present tense. That's what she was doing, okay? And we remember we said that it, the word meant to declare is great. It meant to laud. It meant to celebrate. Now, we understand that issue of celebration because we celebrate. We celebrate a lot of things. We even celebrate people at times. But the one that's worthy of most celebration is who? The Lord. Wouldn't it be nice if the church acted that way? So we said that Mary's life of worship began with the fact that she lauds her Lord. She celebrates her Lord 
and based on what we read last week, there's a lot to celebrate. Because she would be the one that would carry the Savior. That's amazing to think about. But when you think about the visit she had with Elizabeth and coming off of that, and Elizabeth recognizing the fact that Mary would carry inside of her her Lord, then you come to this section and you're just amazed at the fact that Mary has a response, response to the depth that she does. This is not some random song. It expresses for us a woman who was filled in her heart and her soul with the Lord her God. So she's careful to exalt him. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But then we also see there's another verb in the text, has rejoiced. Now what do you notice about that that's different from the word exalts? Class, it's past tense. In fact, in the Greek tense, it's an aorist tense, which points to a time in the past. It doesn't give us the detail of that, but we do gather from what's said after that what Mary, or the time Mary, is likely referring to after Gabriel comes to her. So the word rejoice is important. There's a lot of things in that statement that are important. But she says, And my spirit has rejoiced, past tense, at some point in time. The word declares a definite action. It's not in question. It happened. Okay? Has rejoiced, she says, in God, my Savior. The word rejoiced is an interesting word. You're going to love this word. It literally means to jump or leap for joy. Wow, that's pretty awesome. When's the last time you jumped or leaped for joy that you belonged to the Lord? You say, hold on a second, that you're going to start getting charismatic. Well, okay. We're not going to speak in tongues and we're not going to do anything inappropriate based on what God tells us in 1 Corinthians, but there's nothing wrong with celebrating the Lord. Is there? I've got news for you. That's what we're going to be doing for eternity. So I say jump on the wagon. And let's do, let's, let's do it carefully. Let's do it respectfully. But sometimes I wonder, and I've been in strong Bible teaching evangelical churches, I wonder sometimes if we bring to the table, to the scene, to the worship scene, just like this deadness. I know why we do. It's, the reaction to the charismatic movement has been extreme in a lot of ways. You know, there's nothing wrong with raising your hands to the Lord. Do you know that? You're scared, aren't you? But here's the thing. It's that you're doing it with clean hands. That's the issue in the Bible. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, the Lord's great. How many of you would be willing to come here and say, the Lord's great? Certainly, we go back to the Old Testament after the crossing of the Red Sea and the Bible tells us there they were dancing and celebrating. We might have to take a class or two when we get to heaven. 
And I understand this. I'm not talking about anything inappropriate, right? But my goodness, when my Razorbacks score a touchdown, I'm celebrating. And you're welcome to come watch it with me. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful time of celebration. But when you think about comparing a football game, celebrating a football game as a team, to comparing to celebrating the Lord, what are we talking about? So the word means to leap for joy. It means to be overjoyed or exuberant. I like what Wayne Barber says. One of the things that you're thinking is, Dad, why aren't you fast-forwarding your slides? I didn't give them to you today. I'll give you the whole notes next week, I hope. So you just have it on paper. Wayne Barber says, The idea is that Mary demonstrated her excessive joy by leaping and skipping. If not literally, certainly feeling like it within. I mean, my goodness, the Holy Spirit is creating in her womb the Savior of the world. What's there not to leap for joy about? And we can tell from the Magnificat that she understood her need for a Savior. Scriptures speak to rejoicing in Hannah's song. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. She said, My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. I rejoice, she says. The psalmist, in other verses that kind of sound like this, Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. How many things could you list on a sheet of paper that you could rejoice over? In the Lord. Be a good little exercise. Maybe something that's worthy of a Christmas exercise. Where you come together with your family. And you give your family the assignment of listing things that they rejoice in concerning the Lord. Wouldn't that be an interesting exercise? I don't think we'd be much less than the psalmist who rejoices in salvation. Isaiah 61.10 says, I delight in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. That sure sounds like a lot of this. I like what A.W. Tozer, I do have this one for you because I thought, well, they'd like A.W. and so do I. I like A.W. like Frosty Mug Taste, but this is not that same A.W. This is A.W. Tozer. And he's writing about this whole issue of worship and what we have here within the Magnificat, which is, a sense of worship. And he wrote, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored with worship is not ready for heaven. How many times have you heard in your lifetime I'm bored in church? Well, then they're not doing it right if you're bored They're not doing it right. Because if they're doing it right, everything's pointing to Christ. Whether it's song or whether it's scripture. So Mary, we see, and we can safely say, she was a woman who worshipped, who celebrated her Lord. But what's interesting is within the celebration, we move to the second point. We see her worship. And we see that it was deep within her, 
and we, she's, we see she had no problem celebrating, but we also see um, her theology, her theology. It's written right here for us, and it comes from verses 46 through 50, her theology. And her theology is extremely sound, extremely sound. That's how I have labeled it. When was the last time you thought about your own theology? Theology is one of those words that for the majority of people attending churches today, they probably don't really want to talk about a whole lot. But simply said, your theology is what you believe. And most important is what do you believe about God? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? What do you believe about salvation? What do you believe? See, and it's important that you and I understand what we believe. That's why here at Grace we have a doctrinal statement. But you need to understand what you believe. I was given an assignment when I was in college to write my own doctrinal statement. I thought, what? I was a senior in college, and they said, you're going to need to have it when you go on the road and interview. I thought, that makes sense. So I wrote my theology down. And you know, right from the get-go, my theology was tested. When I went to Green, New York to interview, before we went to Berean Bible Church, and the first question that came to me had to do with church discipline. And it was asked by Tim Crosby, who was chairman of the board, and he said, Thad, what is your understanding of church discipline as it relates to Matthew 18? I was not expecting that to be the first question. He had a degree from Grace Seminary, and he was a big stalwart on sticking to the book. What does the book say? Like, well, and I answered the question only by the grace of God. Thank you, Lord. But our theology, right? Listen, our theology is evidenced in the way we live. It's demonstrated in the things that are important to us. And in this passage of Scripture, the Bible tells us that Mary's theology was extremely sound. You say, what in the world are you talking about? Well, it's right here. Notice what it says. My soul exalts who? The Lord. At no point in time in this Magnificat is Mary exalting herself. That's a big deal. She's exalting the Lord. Now, I know that, like, you haven't taken Greek, and I can appreciate that. In a lot of ways, I wish I didn't have to, hadn't taken it. But now I love it because, I mean, it's just the window into understanding it better, the word, but... I know I didn't appreciate it at the time I was taking it, but I do now. That little word, the, is critical. It's, it's, an, it's called an article in the Greek. And it's there to stress by Mary that he is the one and only Lord. You say, what's the big deal? What culture did she live in? She lived in a culture where polytheism was at the highest. There were multiple gods. And what Mary is saying is, my soul exalts the one and only Lord. That just puts to rest any other so-called God. 
She's saying, he is the Lord, the one and only. That's who I exalt. Now that's pretty good. Theology. You don't know that theology unless you know the word. How would she know the word? The Old Testament was her guide. In fact, it's interesting that Hannah echoes the same thing in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. Hannah said, Indeed, there is no one beside you. In other words, there's nobody beside you. No one equivalent to you. You believe that? There is no one equivalent to God. Now, if we say that, this is how that works out practically. There are a lot of voices that speak into our ear different things. Even theology. But there's only one that we need to listen to, and that is who? The Lord. The Lord. So when we think about what's being said here, there is only one Lord, and so we take our instruction from who? Him. That's how it works itself out practically. If he's the Lord, and the word here um, stresses his position, if he's the Lord, right? We always say, if he's the Lord of your life, well, okay, let's do something real quick. He's the Lord, whether he's the Lord of your life or not. Got that? So he's the Lord. Mary's saying, he's the Lord. I exalt him, the one and only Lord. One of the greatest ways that you and I exalt the Lord, the one and only, is by submitting to him, by surrendering to him, by obeying him. All of that language belongs under sanctification. Because once I come to Christ, then I want Christ to do what? Rule my life. Right? Boy, that's hard, isn't it? Everybody say what Tommy just said. Very, It's very hard. Is it not? One of the greatest ways that we exalt the Lord is not only through our a good understanding of theology and what the Bible has said, but also the way we live. So Mary understood that there was one and only one Lord. Hannah echoes that. The psalmist does. Listen to Psalm 86, verse 8. There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord. No one like you. You know, two things that come to my mind when I think about no one like the Lord. I mean, I know that's true on a lot of levels. But do you know that he knows everything that goes on in our minds? He always, listen to me, he always hears us. He never sleeps and he never slumbers. There is no one like that. There never has been. There never will be. All these gods of these other religions, they're dead. Guess what? Ours is alive. <laughs> well, you, not you, but if I'm going to worship God, I want him to be alive. Mine's alive.
Listen to what Isaiah says. Isaiah chapter 40. You don't need to turn there. You can just listen. Isaiah says, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare him with? As for the idol, a craftsman cast it. A goldsmith plates it with gold, and a silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot to prepare an idol that will not totter. Well, if there's something I know about silver and gold and wood, it's this. They don't hear me. They don't know me. But my God does. He knows me. So as Isaiah said, there is no one like you. How do you compare the Lord? I hear people trying at times. I'm like, stop. There's no comparison. I mean, it is like Hannah said, there's no one beside you. Well, so she acknowledges the Lord, and that's good theology. Really good theology. He's the one and only. But she also acknowledges in the text that God was her what? Savior. Now, it's really interesting the way it reads in the original. And I know you, uh, you might be kind of tired of me talking about the original, but you'll be all right. Bring a piece of candy next week or something. Because here's the thing. If you don't understand the original, then you're going to miss it out. See, and then, I, then one day, see, i got to stand before the Lord. And if he says, hey, Thad, did you know that? Did you study that? Which he's going to know anyway. Yeah, but I just thought they might get bored with their tired hand. Well, that's no excuse. See? God wants us to understand it. So the way this verse reads in the original is this. And rejoices the spirit of me in the God the Savior of me. Now, that's interesting. Because then what you have to do with my is just kind of, you don't scratch through it, but you kind of do. Because what, what Mary's saying is, I rejoice, the Spirit of me does, in the God, that article appears there. The God, there's only one. The Savior, there's only one. You get what she's saying? So it says here, and my spirit has rejoiced in thee, God, the Savior of me. What's she doing? She's acknowledging who? Her Savior. Who would she birth? The Savior. Wow. <laughs> Let's just think about that for a second. So the emphasis is put where it's needed. Now, it's, it's important that we understand kind of that word Savior there. It's the word soter in the Greek. And it was used to describe different things. So, so I believe the Holy Spirit led Mary to do right exactly this because of the time frame that she lived in. Like we said a few minutes ago, the Greeks were polytheists. There were many, many gods. There was a god for about everything under the sun, right? 
even a god of the sun. But Soter was used by the Greeks to describe deities, to describe princes, to describe kings, even to describe men, men who were influential. Um, So that's one way it was used. It was also used of God as the source of salvation, as the deliverer. If you go back to Exodus chapter 15, one of the things you're going to see in that language of that song is the word salvation. And that's connected to the Lord. He had delivered them from what? Bondage. How has the Lord delivered you or saved you? Something to think about. And you go to the Old Testament, it was used by Israel just all over the place in describing the God who saved them in different ways. So he saved them in that he was their protector at times. At times, he was their healer at times. He was their deliverer at times. Do you know the Lord is that for us at times? He's our deliverer. He's our protector. How many ways has the Lord delivered you or protected you that you don't even know about? Would you like to see that film? (laughs) I'm convinced he's protected me in traffic that I don't know about. Because I would have to say there's crazy people out there. There are people that do not need a driver's license. It needs to be taken from them. And I'm happy to do it. (laughs) I'd volunteer, please do not drive again. So it was used to describe deities of the day. The word was used to describe God in the Old Testament and his deliverance of his people. But it was also used of Jesus Christ Mm. as the one sent to bring deliverance to sinful mankind. So in other words, when we say that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation, guess what? That's true. In fact, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, listen to what is said in verse 12. After Peter and John are arrested, verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else. You get that? There's salvation in no one else. So when you have the opportunity, as you will this Christmas season, to speak to your family and to your friends, the greatest need they have in their life is not that gift under the tree. It's the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ alone. Mary would carry the one that would bring salvation and deliverance. There is salvation, Peter said, in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And when we think about it, salvation, it's not only salvation to the Lord, but it's salvation from something else. We've been saved from the wrath to come. You want to read more about that wrath to come? It's real. Thirty years of my life, almost 31 now, I've been doing funerals. Some settings I can recall pretty well. I've had people glare through me. I know that's not possible in one sense, but 
It's like, man, I mean, their face is just beet red. They want me to stop talking about the way. I can never do that. You can't either, though. You don't have permission to stop. See, he's the only one that can save. And he's not only saved us to himself, but he saved us from the wrath to come from a place called hell where there is eternal torment and punishment forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So when Mary exclaims that my soul, or excuse me, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, that's a huge statement. She's declaring that she needed to be saved. Mary needed to be saved? I thought she was protected from original sin. No. No. Mary needed a Savior as well. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about this Magnificat. She recognized her own need. Well, you see this expression of joy that she has. I have rejoiced in God my Savior But what's the basis for her joy? The basis for her joy is given to us in this text. There's two reasons that Mary expresses joy. The first is found in verse 48. It's simply this. He saw me. He saw me. He had regard for me. He looked intently upon me. That's the idea of verse 48. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. Now this is important to understand and try to um, make sense of. So the first reason she gives joy or she rejoices is because he saw her. Now there's some, how would we say this, debate in theological circles. Because you notice what, notice what she says. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. So is he talking about, or is she talking about here, the humility, her humility? Or is she talking about the place in life where she was in Nazareth? Oh, excuse me, yeah, in Nazareth. Which one is it? Um, I kind of lean toward the second one. I think she's talking about where she was and her position in life. But there's another view and the other view is that this passage points to her deep sense of humility in fact some of your study bibles will have that phrase exactly which is fine i respect that but i don't see mary lifting up herself i guess that's why i have an issue with that i don't see her saying look i'm humble i think mary is just absolutely expressing what her heart was i'm amazed he had regard for me When you think about it, it is quite amazing that a woman from Nowhereville would be considered to be the one who would bear the Christ child. The the verb has regard stresses one looking intently at someone or something. And it's expressed in two verses in chapter 1. It also means to look on with favor or regard. Well, where did that happen? If you go back to verse 28, look what it says. And coming in, this is um, Gabriel, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The one that's been looked upon. 
graciously looked upon by the Lord. And then verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor. You've been looked upon, right? Graciously looked upon. So it's the idea of the word is in stressing is someone who's looking intently at another. It's interesting that that word was used, regard was used by medical writers in that culture to stress a doctor carefully examining a patient. So the Lord carefully examined, and it was Mary. He chose her. Aren't you glad doctors are careful? Uh, we want them to be right. We want them to carefully examine us. I had an ingrown toenail that was taken out this week. It was beautiful. <laughs> because it doesn't hurt near as much as it did. As you can see, my shoes don't match today. But this little shoe they gave me is so that I don't have to put that foot in a shoe, which is very uncomfortable. But you talk about exactness. In the bottom of my big toe, it was growing to the right and down. This, this ingrown is disgusting. But he took an, a knife and he cut straight down. And I got to watch why he did it. And I would like to say he carefully examined me before he did it, but he looked at me and he said, Mr. Blount, I think I can help you. I said, okay. And he said, um, we're just going to make a straight cut down. I was like, okay. We're going to do that with some medicine in my toe. He said, okay. <laughs> but he did it with exactness. And that's the idea of this word here that there was an exactness upon our Lord that he looked at Mary. Now, I like what Martin Luther says about this. He says, though he might have found a rich, I think I might have even put that, yeah. Though he might have found a rich, renowned, noble, and mighty queen, the daughter of princes and great lords who held high positions, instead looked upon a lowly one, who would uh, not glory in his presence as though they were worthy of this. That's a really good statement. Um, so, one other theologian writes this, she does not say men will speak all manner of good of her, praise her, exalt her for what she has done, but for this one thing alone, that God regarded her. He saw her. That's what I simply think that she's saying. He saw me. And as a result of him seeing her as the favored one and the Holy Spirit coming over her and creating life in her womb, then makes sense the statement that's written for us here. Because he's had regard for the humble state of his bondservants, behold, that's the way it goes. Because he has had regard for the humble state, and that word humble state could mean humiliation as well, of his bondservant, behold, for from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So they're going to call me blessed because of what God did. He had regard for me. That's what she's saying. She's not saying, hey, look at me. That's not what she's doing. She's saying, look at God. That's strong theology. He had regard for her. One other uh, quote.
quote from Martin Luther I thought was really good. He said, Note that she does not glory in her worthiness or in her unworthiness, but solely in the divine regard. So the next time you think that word regard is not important, think again. It was important to Mary because Mary's stressing, He saw me. He saw me. Which is exceedingly good and gracious that he designed to look upon her in that manner, Luther said. She gloried not in herself, but only in the gracious regard of God. That is so key. I want you to think about this, guys. The God of all creation considered her. The God of all creation has considered you. If you're in Christ, he considered you. Think about this. The God of all creation considered David and not his brothers. He chose David to be the king. The God of all creation had regard for his disciples. Some stinky fishermen and a guy that was really popular named Matthew, tax collector. You know what I was reminded of is that God has regard for people maybe that we wouldn't have regard for. He he selects out people that we go, wow, Lord, that way? That's how you're going to do that? Isn't he an amazing God? So not only did he consider her, and that's the, one of the basis of her joy, but the second basis for her joy is the statement that she makes in the bottom. And it has to do with mega things. Verse 49, for the mighty one, the mighty one has done great things for me. It's the word mega. That's where we get our word mega from. He has done mega things. Well, you look at her life to that point, well, there's some pretty mega things. He had regard for her. The Holy Spirit came upon her. She would would become pregnant with with the Savior of the world. There's a lot of things to consider here. And so she uses a term here that's so appropriate for God that is not used a whole lot. But it's used a lot in the history of Israel. It's used a lot with Job. It's used a lot in Psalms. But we find it here in Mary's Magnificat. We find her using a title that describes... God. She describes him as the mighty one. Well, that focuses in on the word mighty as we get our word dynamite from that. That focuses on on what? His power. His power. There is no one like our God. He is all powerful. The mighty one, she says, has done great things for me. So she focuses in here on the power of God. Um, one of the ways that you and I can focus on the power of God is His creation. We're thankful for His creation. Are we awed by His power? He spoke it into existence. I don't know anybody else that can do that. He did it. He spoke it into existence. He parts the Red Sea. I don't know if anybody else can do that. 
when God became flesh, the Bible tells us all of these things that he did. He gave sight to the blind. Those who were deaf, he healed so they could hear. He walked on water. See, so when she says mighty one, not only is she focusing in on her life, but it's an opportunity for us to consider how we think of the mighty one. There's two other words here that she uses to describe the Lord, and that's how we'll finish today. Notice at the end of this Magnificat, she says, verse 49, For the mighty one has done great things for me, and what holy is his name. What's she saying there? That's not just a tag on. She acknowledges his authority and his power. But she's saying here in this Magnificat, and holy is his name, separate is his name. Even the word different applies here. Different is his name. There's no one like him. He is separate. That's what she's saying. She's saying he's different from anyone else. Do we treat him that way? That he's different from anyone else? Do you know that Hannah declared the same thing in her, her song? She said, there is no one holy like the Lord. There's no one like him in holiness. In fact, Isaiah, the seraphim, are saying to one another, not holy, not holy, holy, but what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. Separate, separate, separate. Man wants to bump up to God like he's just a little bit above. No, he's a long way off. But he's right here with us too. (laughs) Isn't that cool? And he lives in you, if you know him. When I was growing up, um, this is not a song war, okay, so we're not doing that. When I was growing up, we sang hymns all the time, see, young people, because I was a kid in the 1960s and 70s. I was reminded as I was thinking about the holiness of the Lord of a hymn we sang on a good, a regular basis. Holy, holy, holy. I'm not going to sing it. Obviously, I can't, but I want to read just the verses Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. Holy, 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 all the saints adore Thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. Cherubim and seraphim falling down before Thee, which work and art and evermore shall be. Verse 3, holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, only thou art holy. I wonder where they got this line. There is none beside thee, perfect in power and love and purity. And last verse, holy, 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 
Lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And that's how the, it ends in verse 1 and verse 4. Mary saw the Lord as separate. And so she says, holy is his name. And then lastly, she speaks of the mercy of the Lord. Notice verse 50. And his mercy, the mercy of him, is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. There's two things here that I see about his mercy that she says. Number one, his mercy is constant. So it says, it's upon generation after generation. So it's constant. That word mercy here has more to do with compassion in this word usage. His compassion is upon generation after generation. It's constant, but not only is it constant, it's pointed. Meaning this, notice what it says. His mercy, his compassion is upon generation after generation toward who? He specifically, she specifically says, toward who? Those who fear him. In Thayer's Greek lexicon, fear is defined like this from this passage. It's having a reverence for him. It says those who fear or have a reverence for him do two things. Thayer writes, they, number one, they worship him. So a person who fears the Lord worships the Lord. So when someone says, I fear the Lord, that means you're worshiping the Lord. That's just something that naturally is going to happen. And the word worship means to ascribe worth to. So a person who fears the Lord has a reverence for him, and they reverence him by worshiping him. But they also, secondly, recognize him for who he is. That's why they worship him. They know he is God and God alone. There's a fear there. There's a, I like the word dread. There's a, uh, there's a dread there, not in the sense that we're scared to death, but we have a holy fear about God. That one day we're going to answer to him. We're going to stand before him. You know what Mary's saying here? Mary's declaring that he's holy. And Mary's declaring a reverence for the Lord. Which, in closing, I could say needs to be worked on. I wrote something out I just want you to think about. I have it listed here as a closing thought. In the Christmas season, there is a tremendous push for inclusive language and diverse opinions about the true meaning of Christmas. As if the birth of the Lord Jesus is a trivial matter. In fact, I didn't put this in my statement, but there's at times more emphases, even in Christian culture, on all the celebrating around Christmas that has nothing to do with Christ. And I'm not saying don't buy gifts for your family, so don't walk out of here and say, that's just okay, have fun at Christmas. No. Have a great time. But, but listen, 
the majority of that great time for the believer should be on the fact that my Savior has been born. Honey, I still want a gift, right? But hey, look, families do what they exchange gifts. But the greatest gift of all has been given to us. The baby Jesus in a manger, listen to this, is not what is offensive to people in general. They don't mind the baby in the manger. It's that Jesus died and rose again for the sins of man. It's saying, you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. That's offensive. It's also this, that he alone, and listen to this, he alone has authority in heaven and on the earth. Wouldn't that be great to read in Washington, D.C., in front of our president and vice president, all the cabinet members, the Senate, and the House? They certainly need to hear it. By the way, just as a commercial, the enemy's doing a really great job of distracting the church and making politics number one. It's the gospel that's number one in Jesus Christ. So I end with this question. What have you personally done with Christ? What's your song about him? Mary wrote hers. What's yours? Let's pray together. Lord, it's hard to cover all this stuff in a short period of time. And I know for these guys, they're probably sitting out there thinking a long period of time. But there's a lot to consider, and we want to do well at what you've given us. Um, it is going to be nice to see Mary one day and to hear. But we can't let other people of the faith um, blind us to the most important person, and that's you, Lord. It's going to be great to celebrate with Mary and all the others. Um, just like she did here, she celebrated you, Lord. What a powerful witness. How many times has this Magnificat been read? See, the good part about it is, Lord, no matter where it was read, it's your word. So, even if it's read just in tradition or just in a religious setting with no thought of the content, we know, Lord, that your word is powerful and it does not return void. I know of people who sat in auditoriums and heard the word who were not saved and got saved. So, I pray that you would help us, Lord, that as men and women who love you and, and fear you, hopefully, hopefully that's said of us, Lord, that, that our song and our heart would be a declaration of who you are and what you've done for us. I pray as Jessica comes to sing, Lord, that you would um, just work through her song to minister to us, but more importantly, Lord, to give you glory and honor. And it's in the name of Christ I pray all these things. Amen.
when my children were younger, we um, didn't really talk about um, Santa Claus or anything. That was something my husband and I never really grew up with. And one year they asked, can we pretend that we believe in Santa Claus this year? And we were like, well, sure, why not? You know, it was always something really bad when we were growing up. And we thought, well, it's not really anything, you know, terrible. But one story that didn't ever leave my children's heart was the story that we didn't just tell them at Christmas. And it was of Jesus coming. It wasn't just a Christmas story. It was something that we live day in and we live day out. And it's something that we write upon the doorpost. And hopefully we're writing it upon every aspect of our lives. And we're allowing the Holy Spirit to live through us. And so this Christmas, may we focus on the fact that Jesus didn't just come as a baby, but he's coming again. And we have the greatest gift to give. And in John 16, Jesus talks to his disciples about his coming again. And he says, this world is a lot of sorrow. This world it will give you a lot of um, things that are not good. And I'm paraphrasing here. But he talks about at the very end of John 16 that when he comes again, that our joy will not be taken from us because we have him. And so let's give our children the joy of Christmas this year. God 
Jessica, that was beautiful. Thank you. Amen. Well, it gives uh, maybe an opportunity now for someone to respond, you know, and to make sure that you know that you belong to the Lord. And so I would just ask that you, where you are, you bow, and I'm going to pray. And we have, I have one announcement before we leave. But I just want you to spend just a minute or two just in... Silence before the Lord. The greatest thing that all of us can know is that we belong to Him. There may be some in this room today that don't. And if you're questioning at all, I'd love to sit down with you and talk with you about that. So, Lord, um, I love the title of that song, I Believe, and and it's such a personal title because all of us need to be able to say, I believe. And um, I just pray, Lord, that before anyone walks out of this building today, um, that they would be able to say without a doubt, I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Lord, we're trying to represent you well um, I hope that's the case. And um, I know that all of us, Lord, are in the same boat. We have a lot, <laughs> a long way to go. Um, 
but we understand that as we walk each day, we represent you. And so I pray that you would help us in our words, help us in our actions. But Lord, that really all starts with our thoughts. So I pray you would help us with our thoughts. And just as Paul wrote the Colossians, that our minds would be set on the things above and not on the things that are on the earth. May you be glorified in our life today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so tonight, we're having a kids program. And uh, at 6 o'clock, it's a kids choir. And um, it's a miniature choir, I'll say that. Half of them are my grandchildren. So if you think about, pray for their voices their father sings pretty well, but everyone else in the family needs some help. So we hope the girls take after their father. But uh, you come tonight, 6 o'clock. We're also going to have, immediately following that, a church-wide fellowship. And so bring plates of finger foods and desserts. Don't just bring desserts. Bring some finger foods. That'd be nice, too. Brownies with nuts are always acceptable. Okay. And uh, oatmeal cookies with no raisins. So, um, the Lord, we know the Lord's blessed those two things. So, it was good to be with you today. I'm thankful that you're here today, and I trust that you'll speak to somebody on your way out as you as you go to your homes. You're dismissed. <laughs>